Bible. Go ahead and turn there. Kind of main, what we're going to talk about today and is, is kind of being lame and what it means to be lame. And my father-in-law can attest that I'm more than qualified to talk about being lame. Um, when we talk about lame, I, I think this, we're either A, currently lame. We currently have a place of weakness. We currently have a point where we're vulnerable, where we're struggling, where we're kind of broken and in, in great need, or we're kind of a reformed lame-er, or whatever that word may be. We're reformed in that way. So either lame, or we've been lame at some point, or we're both lame and reformed lame and trying to move past that. And so what we kind of want to work through today is the idea of being lame and kind of what that means to, to kind of work through that process. And then also, if we've been reformed from being lame or we're recovering lamer, then what's that mean in, in relationship to our relations with other people? That's kind of where we want to go with it today. And so in Acts 3, and I'm going to set up a background a little bit for you this time, but in Acts 3, it talks about this beggar who's been sitting at this gate. The guy's been lame since his birth, and so his whole life, he's kind of been in this condition, in this, in this place of being weak, in this place of being broken, and because of his weakness in one area of his life, it's impacted everything else about his life. And so that's that. But there's also another story happening simultaneously with it because there's a reformed lamer, a guy who used to be lame, who's been strengthened because of his contact with Jesus, because of his movement with the Holy Spirit, and, and that's Peter. And so we want to kind of talk about both sides of that. We want to look at the lame guy at the gate, but we also want to talk about the recovered, reformed lame guy and Peter and what his actions are at this point. So to kind of set it up, we've already been through the crucifixion, we've already been through the resurrection, and he spent his 40 days, and then we have the ascension. And so in Acts 2, which obviously precedes Acts 3, that's normally the way it goes, in Acts 2, it talks about the Holy Spirit coming down, all the disciples were gathered around, and they're there, and, and they're kind of timid, they're afraid, they're not sure what's happening, they're not sure what direction they're going to go from there, and so they're all gathered, and the Holy Spirit falls into place, and all of a sudden this band of guys that kind of deserted, this band of guys that were afraid, that were timid, this band of guys that were in some way deniers of Christ in their own way, all of a sudden they get emboldened and strengthened, they become recovered lamers, and then they kind of move forward from there and start spreading this whole idea of Christianity, of who Christ is, all of that. So that's kind of Acts 2 and setting up where we're going into Acts 3. And understand this about Peter, and I want to focus on him with this part of it. Understand this about Peter. This is the same Peter that when you go back into the Gospels was, I'm for you, I'll never deny you, I'm always with you, I'm your guy. And then when things got a little bit tough and the heat got turned up a little bit, I don't even know that guy, I don't even know who he is, I'm not with him and denies him and kind of walks off in shame. So, former lame guy, Holy Spirit comes, Acts chapter 2, reformed lame guy, and now in Acts 3, we see reformed lame guy encountering current lame guy. Does that make sense? And so that's kind of where we are in Acts 3. So in Acts 3, 1, and I'm going to kind of go bit by bit here, it says this, One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. And it says this, Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those that were going into the temple court. Okay, let's stop there for a second. You got this guy, his whole life, his whole existence, from the time that he was born, he's had this weakness, this infirmity, this lameness, right? And, and I've, I've read different accounts of what it was. Some say it was a palsy. Some say it was different things. doesn't matter. End of the story, you got this guy who's got a weakness. And specifically, his ankles and his feet weren't strong enough to kind of hold him up. He couldn't stand up. He couldn't walk on his own. And so because of that, 
he relied on other people to kind of get him into different places. And the place that he went every day, as it says in the text, was his friends picked him up like wood, like a package, like an empty duffel bag. They picked this guy up, and they walk him down to the temple, and they placed him outside of this gate called Beautiful. And the reason it was called Beautiful was also called the Susa Gate or the Susan Gate. But it was beautifully adorned, had these carvings on it. It was about 60 feet high. And it was kind of this place of entry, this portal of entry where people would go through this to move into the temple and all kinds of different layers after that. But they would move through this gate to go into the temple. So everybody, every good practicing Jew in Israel would move through into this place, go through this gate on their way into God, to to the presence of God, to enjoy him, to pray, to sacrifice. All of that stuff happened through this gate. In, In essence, what it means is this. They came into contact with their God. That, this is where the presence lived, and so they came into contact with him by moving through this gate. And the problem for the lame guy was the Jewish law or tradition was that if you had an area of weakness, if you were lame in some area, you couldn't do that. You couldn't move into the courts, you couldn't move into the temple, and so you had to sit outside. And so I was thinking about this after the last service. This guy, in, in his entire life, had never been into the courts. He'd never been inside the temple. He'd never been able to fully embrace the presence of of God. But the other thought that hit me was this. He was as close as he could get at that moment in his current condition. And so even though he was outside, he was as close as he could get with his current condition. Does that make sense? And so he's sitting outside the gate, and he's lame and he's infirmed, and he shows up and it continues on with this. And it says, when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Now, every day when he shows up, his expectation is maybe somebody's going to throw me a bone. Maybe somebody's going to give me a little change. Maybe something will fall out of their pocket. Maybe they get like a a token for the arcade. I don't know. Maybe they're going to give me something. If they give it to me, great. I can go buy a Coke. I can go buy a snack. I can do something. If they don't, I've lost nothing. So his expectation at this point was bare minimum, low no expectation at all of encounter, of change, of life transformation. And day after day after day, that was his expectation. So he gets carried down like wood, dropped off at the gate, as close as he can get. His expectation is nothing. And so I started thinking off of that for us. What's our expectation in the same way? When we show up at church, when we come on Sunday mornings or on Tuesday nights for prayer, or we go tonight to face down, Or even this, when we're in relationship with our family, with our friends, with other people that call themselves Christians, what's our expectation of all of those different environments? Is our expectation when we show up at church on Sunday morning that God's going to move in a real, in a powerful, in a meaningful way, and it's going to change our lives and transform our vision and make us new and whole, and we're going to all of a sudden move out of weakness? Or is it, it's another Sunday morning, and I wake up, and I put on my get-up, whatever that may mean for you, I put on my get-up, and I come down, and I'm going to hear a great message from David, and he's going to speak truth to me, and he's going to tell some great stories, and I'm going to move. That's it. Or is your expectation that wholeness, that healing, that fullness can come out of it? Because when you look at the guy who's lame, and he's got this area of weakness in his life, you have to understand that's not God's plan, God's desire for any of us is not that we would be divided or diminished or less than whole. His plan for everyone is that there's a wholeness to us he's complete he's whole and he's made us in his image so he desires for us to be whole also so this guy in his current condition of being broken of being lame of being weak was functioning in a capacity that was diminished from what he was capable of 
And, and so what's our expectation? Is it that when we show up at, at church and we show up in relationships with Christians, that there's going to be no life transformation, there's going to be no change, that I'm going to walk away the same, or that when I walk away, my life is going to be radically different than when I showed up that morning. And, and so he shows up every day with the same expectation. He looks at Peter and John, and he says, can I have some money? Another thought off of that was this, and this kind of hit me this morning. This guy had been there day after day for his life. Peter and John and Jesus had been to that same temple on multiple occasions. This guy's probably sat at that gate when Jesus and Peter and John and the other disciples had come through before. Does that make sense? He's probably seen him. He wasn't blind. He could see. So he probably had seen him at some point. More importantly, I know that Jesus had seen him. I know that Jesus had recognized him, had understood his condition, knew that he was in great need. The question becomes now, well, why didn't Jesus fix the guy? If the guy's there, Jesus sees him. Why didn't he fix him at that moment? And understand this, in, in, in Habakkuk 2.3, it says simply this. It says, the time has not yet come, but the time will come. This is a bad Scarborough paraphrase. The time had not yet come, but the time is coming that change is going to happen, that the revelation is going to be revealed, that the move is going to come through. Big paraphrase there. But he's also saying this. He says, wait for it. He says, tarry there. He says, know that it's coming, understand that the fullness will come through. And, and so even though Jesus had passed this guy, had probably seen him before, recognized his need, he also understood that the time for his healing hadn't come yet. And I think the reason for it is this. Jesus wanted to use Peter and John in a big way to move in this guy's life specifically to bring healing to him. And so it wasn't that the beggar wasn't ready to be healed when Jesus and Peter and John came through the first time. It's that Peter and John were still a lame beggar in their own right when they passed through before. Now in Acts 3, Peter and John are different. They've been changed. They've been transformed. Now the time's come to use them to fix this guy. Does that make sense? That's the whole, this guy's lame. These guys are reformed, retread lamers. And so he's going to use these guys to impart life into this guy. Does that make sense? And so we keep going from there. It says... Peter said to him, he says, look at us. And so the man gave him his attention, expecting to get something from him. I know this. Peter understood the power of a look. Peter understood what it meant when somebody looked at him, when the Lord looked at him strongly, and he gave him his attention. After Peter denied Christ, after Peter denied Jesus, there's this moment where Peter's standing there, and Jesus is being let out, and Jesus and Peter make eye contact. There's that moment of great eye contact where Jesus looks at him and says, I know what you just did, but I love you anyway. I know what you just did, but I still care about you, but I still want to use you. And so when Peter says to the guy, look at me, it's a knowing look. It's a meaningful look. It's not just a throwaway verse in terms of like I do with a kid at school. Look, look at me, look at me. It's a meaningful thing of I want to impart life to you through my eyes. I want to look at you and I want you to look at me and understand there is love and there's healing and there's mercy and there's power in what he can do. And so he says, he looked at him. He says, look at us. And so the guy looks at him expecting to get something. Again, low expectation. And then Peter said this. He says, silver and gold I have not, but what I do have I give you. Peter, reformed lame guy. 
I didn't have it before. These other times when I walked past you, I wasn't quite ready. I wasn't quite there yet. Now I get it. Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes and powers him, moves him, makes him bold, makes him strong, makes him ready to step out. He says, I didn't have it when I showed up before. Now I've got it. And what I do have is his power, is his healing, is his wholeness, and I'm going to give that to you. And so you keep going from there, and he says this. He says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. And says, taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. Make sure you get this. The guy's weakness, the guy's lameness was in his ankles and his feet. But because of that one area of lameness, that one area of weakness, his entire life was impacted. Just because he couldn't stand up and walk on his own, he could never move into the temple. He could never go into the presence. Because of that one area, he couldn't go out and get a functioning job. Emotionally, he was discouraged. He felt like nobody cared about him. He'd watched probably thousands and thousands of people walk by him on their way into the temple every day. And so because of one area of weakness and, and infirmity and lameness, the rest of his life was impacted. Same thing's true for us. You know, I think the biggest weakness, the biggest lameness that most of us have, I know it is for me, is that we don't trust him enough for what he says he's going to do. We, we, we have a faith lameness. Some of us have a lameness from a, from a job standpoint. We, we let our job consume us. We let our identity in our job consume us. And because of that, when things don't go well with the job, everything else in our life gets out of whack. Financially, relationship-wise, at home. Some of us have a, a problem in relationships with our family. Our dad hurt us when we were kids. Our mom hurt us when we were kids. We don't trust family. We don't trust mom. We don't trust dad. And because we don't trust dad, we can't trust God. One area of weakness can impact your entire life. And so when it says to this guy, I'm strengthening your ankles and your feet, and you can stand up and run and leap, what he's saying is, everything else in your life can come back into shape. I want to move through you. I want to work in you. I want to do great things in you. But the, the weakness, that one area of lameness, kept me, kept me from moving in your life. I'm strengthening this. Now I can go after you. Now I can move through you. Now I can use you. Here's what's great about it. End of the story, lame guy sitting at the gate becomes the main attraction. Sideshow guy sitting at the gate, the guy that everybody stepped over, the guy that everybody else walked around, he becomes the main show. Because he was strengthened, because he could step up, because he moved into the temple, everybody else starts running over saying, wait a second, that was lame guy. That was beggar guy at the gate. I know who that guy is. I've seen him. I've stepped over him every time I go into the temple. Lame guy becomes reformed lame guy, and then reformed lame guy starts help, helping other lame guys. Does that make sense? It, it's this power of impartation. It's this generational investment of, I fix this guy, by fixing this guy, he becomes an example, crowds are drawn, and he moves over here. It's the Lazarus principle, right? I'm going to let Lazarus sit in the tomb for four days, let him get good and ripe, he's going to stink, he's going to be nasty and awful, he's going to start to decay maybe, and then I'm going to call him out so everybody else can see what I'm doing in his life. Lame guy, been sitting there for years and years and years. I'm going to wait, I'm going to strengthen him, and then everybody else is going to be drawn and they can see what I've done in this guy's life. Lame guy imparts life into other lame guys. And I think the truth of it for us is this, is that every one of us in here, some fashion, some shape, some form, is lame. 
Some of us are in various, various states of lameness. Some of us are more lame than others. Some of us have more healing that's been done in our lives. Others, we're just getting this thing started. For, for some of us in here, it's a big jump just to walk in the door. Some of us have been so hurt by church and the way church has treated people and the way other Christians have treated people. For some of you, it's a big jump just to come in the door. For others of you, you're, you're at the Peter phase. You're at the Peter phase of, I've been healed, I've seen real healing in my life, I've seen real wholeness in my life, and I want to do that for somebody else. I, I want to pour that into somebody else. Some of us are at that stage. But I think this, it goes back to the expectation thing. Is what's your expectation of God? I think the question of what's our expectation of church gets down to this. What vision do I have of God? What's my vision of who he is? Is he enough? Is he sufficient? Is he whole? Is he a savior? Is he a healer? Is he powerful? Is he mighty? Can he do all that he says he's going to do? If I say yes to that, my expectation is he can strengthen my feet and ankles, he can make my lameness whole, and he can use me to impart life into others. If I don't expect that he can do that, then my expectation is going to be, it's just another Sunday. I just showed up, and I can get up and walk out the door, and my life hasn't been changed. Ask yourself this, and let's read on down. Ask yourself this as he's going through. Taking him by the right hand, instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet, and he began to walk, and then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. And when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement because they knew it was that guy. They knew it was the guy they'd stepped over. Verse 11, while the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to him in the place called Solomon's Colonnade or Solomon's Portico. And when Peter saw this, he said to him, men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why does this surprise you? Go back and read. I've been telling you all along, that's what I can do. I've been telling you all along, this is what I'm going to do. I came to heal. I came to bring life. I came to bring wholeness. I came to do all these things. Why is it surprising you that I did it? Because our expectation is small, because our expectation doesn't believe that it's going to happen. And what he says is this, trust me. Know that I'm going to do what I can say. Have a greater expectation of me than you have of yourself. Know that I can do more than you think I can do in your life. I think that, I think the, the deal is this, is that if we truly trusted him and truly fell on him, and you know, we, we said, I'm going to fall on my knees, and I'm going to go after you, and I'm going to worship you. I'm going to, if we truly did that, it would be a little less surprising when it happened. Our expectation would be that there's going to be healing, there's going to be wholeness, there's going to be leaping and jumping. And I think this, ask yourself this about the beggar. Do you think he went back out front and sat back down on the gate? You think he picked up a sign again and said, give me some change, and sat back down at the gate and said, ah, okay, that was neat, good experience, had a good time, jumped a little bit, now I'm going to go sit down again. You think that's what he did? It might, it might go to Zoo Atlanta back before it was like nice, back before it was an animal and environmentally friendly, back before they got like actual trees. They might go when they had like swimming pools where gorillas were. Do I remember Willie B? Rest his soul, Willie B. If you remember Willie B, he was in that like aquarium thing that was about half the size of, of that tray right here. 
and they had him on a tire swing, and he had a TV in the side, which was like some old black and white job from 42. And so he sat in this cage all day, and all he could do was sit there and watch everybody pass him by. Just watch people walk by in front of his cage and like mock him and make faces at him. I'd love to know what he was saying. I will rip you apart. I will, I will destroy you. But everybody's like walking by and mocking him, maybe throwing stuff at him. And he just sat there. And then finally, Zoo Atlanta realized this is animal cruelty and this isn't good. And so they decided to build a real animal kingdom habitat out back. So they got like actual trees and big woods. And, th- and, then, and then this is where it gets a little seedy. I don't understand the whole plot. But they brought like other gorillas out there. Like female gorillas, different story, but they're out there too. And so Willie B's in the, in the aquarium. The big day comes. We're going to let him out. We're going to let him go walk around outside. And they open up the back door, and he goes out, and he kind of looks around. It's kind of like I, I get this image of the beggar guy, right? Never been outside. He's been in this aquarium. He goes outside. Man, this is good stuff. It's great. And then he does this. It blew their minds. He walks down, walks down to the gate, the fence, where the spectators are now outside, there's a little hill, a little mound there, walks down, sits down on the heel, the heel, all of a sudden it went southern, my mother-in-law, he went down to the heel, and he sat down, and he just watched the people keep passing him by. And like all the trainers like, dude, look, look, you got trees, you got female gorillas, you got grass, you got bananas. No, he just sat in the same place. You know, that doesn't make any sense. You think the beggar went back out and sat on the front steps? You think he just went and sat? I don't think so. He'd seen too much. He knew too much. He'd experienced too much to settle for the same old thing, the same old deal. You think his expectations were expanded a little bit? Yesterday I was asking for a, a, a shekel. I'm asking for a little coin, and today I'm walking. That's a pretty good deal. That's a pretty good swap. I think once you've had your expectations blown away and you've had your expectations expanded, it becomes impossible to go back to the same old, same old. It becomes impossible to go back to, this is just what I do. Because what you do just changed. And I think that's the whole thing. The lame beggar became a reformed, refreshed lamer and starts imparting life into other people. And so Bo and then we're going to come up and we're going to wrap this thing up a little bit. And I'll ask you this. Where, where are you identifying in the story here? Do you identify more with the lame beggar guy? Do you identify with the fact that I've got this weakness, I've got this vulnerability in me, I've got this place of brokenness in my life, emotional, physical, whatever it may be, financial, I've got this brokenness in my life, and because of that area of brokenness, I can't function in his kingdom. I can't function in the way that he wants me to function. I, I need wholeness in that area. Do you identify more closely with Peter? That you, you had these massive lame, this massive lameness in your life, and it was healed because of who he is in your life, and you're changed, and you feel ready to go for it, and I want to impart life, and I want to grab a guy by the hand and help him move into his destiny and help him move into the places that God wants him to move, but I'm kind of scared. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know how to do that. Does that make sense? And I think this, too. I think there's, there's two other groups, and these are a little bit more, I think, dangerous, and I think they're a little bit more scary. And that's this. I think some of us, and this is me for a good chunk of my life, I think some of us think that we're kind of at the Peter phase, but we still have a big chunk of the beggar in us. We still have a big chunk of the lame guy in us. And and the image that comes to my mind is this. 
if I'm having a deep, strong asthma attack, I can't give CPR. And so I, I think some of us have this big area of brokenness and weakness in our life, but we're trying to mask it and hide it and, and trying to act like Peter, but we can't impart life because of this brokenness in us. And, and you know, I, I think about this. You, know, you talk about addicts, and I'm not talking about the ones like you see on Celebrity Rehab on VH1 with Dr. Drew, the ones that are just flat out lost and gone and just, you could, that guy's not good. They're addicts that have like what we would call functional addicts. Right? They have a problem, they have an addiction, but they've learned how to function with the addictions. They try to mask it, they try to cover it up, a lot of breath mints, right? They try to dress a certain way or act a certain way to hide the fact that they've got a real problem. I think spiritually, that's some of us. I think that for a long time, that's me, in terms of we try to mask it, try to hide it, try to fake it, but at the end of the day, there's nothing coming out because we still had not fixed this brokenness back over here. I think the other group is this. I think some of us have been made whole, we have been healed, but we fall into the Willie B syndrome. We've been brought out of something, we've got this wholeness in our life, but we still choose to kind of go back to this default setting of, I'm going to sit on the hill and kind of watch life pass me by. And if somebody wants to throw me a bone, okay. And so they're going to play a song and um, what I want you to think about is this. Where are you identifying there? Where do you kind of fall in that grouping? Kind of pray through that, think through that during the song, and then David's going to come and uh, kind of wrap it up after that. Let me pray for us. Father God, we do thank you, Lord. We thank you for this day. Uh, we thank you for this group. We thank you for, uh, Lord, for just allowing us the privilege of being called out of what we're in. We thank you for being a God who strengthens us, who heals us, who makes us whole again. Uh, and Lord, I pray this, I pray that you would give us a heart and a mind that can understand our areas of weakness, understand our brokenness, give us a courage and a boldness to move past that. Lord, I do pray that you would use everybody in this room like you, like you did Peter, that you would reform us, that you would reclaim us, that you would make us whole, and then use us to impart life into others. And Lord, I pray as a church that you would use us like that gate called beautiful. Lord, the, the gate called beautiful was a place of entry, it was a place of encounter, it was a place of healing. Lord, I pray that, that Stonebridge Church would be a place of entry into your kingdom. It would be a place of encounter where people, where people come into, into contact with your spirit. And Lord, I pray that it would be a place of healing where you make people whole. So, Father God, use it in a mighty way. Use this place in a mighty way. Amen.